Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome to everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 114. I am John Davis, and joining me today in Studio C is our writer and two-wheeling producer, Brian Robinson. Hello, John. Our assistant producer, Greg Carlos. Hey, hey. Our over-the-edge reporter, Zach Mescal. Hello, world. And we've got a lot to cover today. We have a lightning round, a viewer question, but first... More cars. That's our stock and trade. Two more cars that we had the pleasure of taking to uh, Roebling Road near Savannah, our winter testing facility, in late January that we're just now getting on the air. Um, We're going to talk about two of those. Uh, We've got a car that we're going to talk about back home, a Mini Cooper S hardtop four-door. And we've got a couple of quick spins coming up that Zach and Greg are going to get in on because they've been to the previews. Let's start, though, with, frankly, a car that a lot of people probably thought was a bit of a sleeper, uh, but it shows just how far this brand has come in performance, and that's the 2015 Lexus RCF. This is their coupe, and uh, the top coupe. A lot of people will probably see the RC350 and the F-Sport, but this is their top-rung M-like car. What do you think? Impressed? Not impressed? I was impressed with it. I liked it. And uh, actually, I think a lot of it has to do with that color. For the, We had an orange color that was actually really flattering on yeah. that car. and um, Which is saying something. Yeah, it just made it look really good. Um, it wasn't quite McLaren orange, but it was no, good. No, no, but it was, a good, it was a good orange. I'll say mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, it was just surprisingly good on the track. And uh, I was expecting it to feel a little bit heavy. It didn't necessarily feel that way. And the um, naturally aspirated V8, I mean... We're kind of in the world of turbos and superchargers now. It's kind of cool to have something that uh, breathes its own air. But I thought it handled itself really well on the track. Yeah, I would agree. I was impressed by it, uh, especially like the V8. I mean, it's you know kind of a continuation of the SF sedan, um, which I think was kind of underrated. I thought they did a really good job with that. Um, and this is just that same engine with more power, uh, better suspension. Smaller car and uh, a lot more uh, electronic doodads to help it out. Like Greg said, it didn't feel as heavy as it is. It's a heavy car. Yeah, it's about uh, four thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, but I mean the thing stops when you want it. Six piston Brembo's up front, four in the rear, and uh, this one seems to be more tame than the M4. Actually, I was going to ask you if anybody want to make any comments about M4 because that's obviously the target that a lot of people will compare it to. Yeah, it's way better to drive on the street than the M4. Uh, I don't know. I would. They're close. I would have to drive them like back to back on the same track the same day to really say uh, you know which is better. But that's I amazing. Mean, yeah, that we actually say yeah. something like that, and that just shows you how close some of the other brands have gotten to this uh, BMW mystique now. I mean the M4. Well, M3 Cooper at the time went yeah. away from the V8, and now this one's got a V8. Um, I, I like the Turbo Six. In the M4, but and the V8 and the RC and the RCF is pretty nice too. So yeah, that's good stuff. And they, um, you had made a comment. I remember when we were sitting in the pits before I drove it. You had it the deferential uh, in like was it street mode or it I wasn't in its aggressive yeah. setting. And you said you turned it on. It was a whole different experience. Which I I kept it after hearing that. I kept it in track mode or I can't remember what yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was track. Called. Yeah, there's track slalom and I think just normal. Mode. And you said the normal was. Uh, 
a little tail happy. Yeah, I mean, uh, it feels like a whole different car. It's just uh, it's kind of a torque vectoring rear mm-hmm. sends uh, power to the outside wheel to kind of uh, help you lay power down instead of. Uh, it obviously works. Uh, yeah, I think it works great. And, you know, I think when the ISF came out, we all didn't believe it. I think we maybe even thought it was a fluke or they wouldn't follow up on it like so many manufacturers don't follow up when they do something really interesting like that. But Lexus has, and even when you look at their um, more mainstream models like that, the little NX crossover, um, pretty much more hardcore than you would expect, or at least available in a trim that's more hardcore than you would expect from Lexus. And um, they say their uh, coming RX crossover is going to take the same route, so we'll see. And they got GSF sedan. GSF out, sedan, so. which we just saw unveiled. And that, yeah. now you talk about a heavy car, that's a heavy car. Yeah. But that's going to be very interesting to drive. Okay, I've sort of been um, holding this one back, but here's one that it was uh, a, a terrific treat for us to have a chance to spend a some one. time at uh, Roebling. It's, it's a good one. And the 2015 <laughs> Lamborghini Huracan, uh, or Hurricane, for those that uh, don't know how to Huracan. pronounce it like me. Okay, this was uh, you know Lamborghini's uh, new baby, uh, replacing uh, the, the Gallardo. What do you think? Gallardo, sorry. Baby Gallardo, man. Yeah. V10 sound. Um, I actually got to experience one on one of my latest over-the-edge uh, runs in California. Do you, do you think it felt that much different than a Gallardo? I'd have to say no. Um, but granted, I don't have much experience with the <laughs> Gallardo either. Um, I can tell you one thing for sure. I think it looks better. It just looks so oh, good. Yeah. It's got it's, a lower it's a front million. end. It's just better looking. <laughs> much more Aventador than Gallardo. Because yeah. uh, when you first look at it, you might think it's an Aventador, but then uh, there's a few subtle differences. Like it's the a, doors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we've had it uh, on track before. We've talked about it some, but, uh, you know, its roots go back to the Audi R8. So mm-hmm. uh, it's super easy to drive. Uh, you can't overstate how easy it is to drive. I mean, with an amazing yeah. transformation with Lamborghini over the last few years, especially, uh, you know, since uh, Audi has been, uh, if not owner, at least guiding. The cars are, are quite refined now. Yeah, anytime you get in a quarter of a million dollars worth of car, you, you know, at least I get nervous. But within yeah. a couple of laps, you know, that kind of melts away and you start uh, pushing pushing the thing like crazy. The uh, The car was every bit as competent on the track as I think we thought it was going to be going in. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's um, And it's got a sound that you just associate with racing. I mean, mm-hmm. it, when you're at the track, most cars aren't going to sound like that. Granted, they sound good. It's always fun hearing an exhaust and engine from a from a car. But specifically this uh, – this uh, I'm not even going to say the word because I don't want to oh. butcher it. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, Oricon. Oricon. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just everywhere on the track, man, it was just a real pleasure to listen to that thing rev, and it was a very good oral experience. red line. That's just beautiful. But, but but the sound inside and outside the car, I mean, standing in the pits and watching you guys go by full throttle, it was almost as exciting as being in the car. Mm-hmm. It just sounds so great. So anyway, uh, I hope you'll live vicariously through us uh, for the Oricon uh, road test because uh, it was uh, a real treat. Uh, the car is spectacular, and uh, frankly, everything uh, you've read about uh, how well it behaves is true. 
Okay, moving uh, on back to the real world. Um, recently, uh, we had a chance to get inside the uh, new Mini Cooper S hardtop four-door. And this is uh, really a first-time model for them in a way. It sort of replaces uh, the Clubman, which was that weird little three-door hatch they had. Um, what do you think? Folks, have they managed to put four doors on the uh, the hardtop without spoiling it? Or yeah, I don't know if we made it all the way back to the real world yet or not. Because I would not. <laughs> this is not one, on a mini, I don't want to be in this world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're fun uh, to drive as they always been, and this car certainly is. But yeah, is it it's too small still not for you. Bad. It's still, it's right. It's too rough. It's too. <laughs> oh, that small. was the S. It's, God forbid you have potholes. It's too quirky. Right. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's, there's too much of it inside. Yes, you I can don't like fit. all the little Stop switches. Stop beating me over the head with it. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's just, as soon as you get inside of it, you just, for me anyway, I, I ask where this is, where that is. Um, I mean, the infotainment. Is it, is it the eclectic nature of it that gets you? I mean, because it is unlike anything else on the road when, on the inside. I guess True. so, but I even gave it the chance. And, you know, I went down back roads, got on the highway, and I just I couldn't live with it. So you didn't enjoy driving it? Not so much. I mean, at first I thought, oh, wow, great clutch, very smooth transmission, nice acceleration. But then once you do more than that, it, I don't know, wow. just steers me away from it. Yeah, I, I have to admit. Of course, I am a first-generation New Cooper owner, and I actually loved it. I didn't like the second-generation car, but I love this one. I like the standard motor better than the S, just if I had to live with it every day. But getting back to the whole four-door, mm-hmm. uh, there's a little more room back there. Not no, much. Not much. Um, it's. You know, I think it's nice if you've got pets. It's easier to load them. Or, or if you're maybe just like kids. throwing a book bag in the back yeah. or something, you don't have to like, uh, push the seat forward. So in that aspect, it's good. But uh, if we go back to driving it, I think I can understand where Zach's coming from. Um, you kind of have to go into it, I feel. Like with the mindset of driving aggressively to enjoy the car. Hmm. If you're just going in, like trying to go to the grocery store, you're not going to have a good experience because every little bump you hit, you're going to feel it. God forbid you hit a pothole or anything like that. But I mean, as far as a performance oriented car, I mean, you can. Little hatchback. Right. You get, I mean, you get good performance out of it, which is, which is the best thing of it for me. What about the, uh, the obvious question? Uh, I mean, there are. More competitors out there now, and now that you know, Mini's gotten bigger and more expensive. GTI is the first one that comes to everybody's GTI, mind. GTI, Fiesta ST. Yeah, I mean, there's, Focus there's ST. a lot. They don't have this market to themselves. Yeah, unless you really want a Mini, there's no way you, I would buy this car over a GTI. I mean, GTI is enjoyable to drive, comfortable, more room. Uh, you know, um, and it's ex- and, and Minis get expensive very quick. Oh yeah, the one we had was uh, thirty-five mid-thirties. Yeah. I do like minis. I own one. I'm I, I'm appalled at how expensive they've gotten, but they they must be doing something right because if you like, they've yeah. got a huge following. If you like what Mini has done and yep. what they're doing, then it'll be perfect for you. There's, and, I'm not going to steer you away from that car. And I do like this third generation. I think this chassis is the best one they've done. And this is a, a chassis, of course, that uh, parent BMW is going to get a lot of use out of, too. Yeah, and the uh, you know most of the things we're complaining about, like you said, if you stick with a regular Cooper, mm-hmm. uh, you get a better ride. You get the i three turbo, which uh, I think is plenty of power for right. that car. Uh, it's a more enjoyable overall. That was the experience. car I spent most yeah. of my time in, and and I must admit I I enjoyed it a lot. And it was the first Mini that I've driven that I thought I would consider replacing my uh, two thousand two with. Okay, let's move on to a couple of quick spins. These are. 
the results of uh, a couple of our members here at the table going to some of the press events, so we haven't had the vehicles in here uh, at work yet. Zach, let's start with you. 2015 BMW 2 Series Convertible. This car definitely seems a little bit more grassroots. It kind of reminds me of a modern E46. So um, it's just the way it drives, um, and then you can upgrade to the M suspension. It's rear-wheel drive. Um, you can get the, I think it's eight-speed uh, automatic than six-speed manual. Um, just really enjoyable. And the convertible itself, uh, they told me that, you know, it's a lot more sound deadening materials and this and that and we got on the road and that was very true it Mm -hmm. the convertible drives like a sedan as far as sound goes and then you put the top down and you can still have a conversation just fine on the highway yeah this is a to me a very important car because for many years before the three series got so large uh, you know and before all the name changes the the three series convertible was like the quintessential four-place convertible uh, there, everything else was measured against that. Do you think this now is this car is going to be like the new benchmark in that aspect? I think that this one's actually replacing the one series, but I I definitely feel yes, it probably will be the new benchmark car because for this is sm- for a smaller, well, compact convertible, whatever. Right. This is going to appeal to a lot of people, and mm. uh, especially once they get in and drive it, it's just uh, everything's easy to use, and uh, I mean the car just drives how you want it to. Is it still like two twenty? Like, can you get a M two thirty five I convertible, or is it? Because didn't they do it two twenty eight I? You get the four cylinder, right. and then I think if you wanted six, you had, or yeah, if you wanted to go to the six, you had to get the M two thirty five. I believe that's correct. Yeah. yeah, is it the same way with the convertible? That I don't know, because I wasn't even sure that they were going to make a two twenty eight convertible. So, hmm. so what did you drive? The convertible, the, the two twenty eight. You, I mean, yeah, you drove the two twenty eight. So you don't know if so. We're off the top of our heads, we don't know if there's a four. But I bet there is. And that's another thing. When are Simply they going to fix the naming the... scheme again? Because oh, two God, point. Please. I mean, it should have be. It should be a two point eight, but it's a two yeah. liter. It's. I don't know if they're ever going to switch away from it because they've gotten no. so much use out of them. Yeah. Or, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's crazy. If we man. go back, if we go back to what they really started, I mean, it used to be those two NAS numbers really told you everything about the engine you needed to know. Not right? Anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Okay, moving on the um, uh, to a little bit higher uh, level vehicle, 2016 Bentley Muson Speed Greg. I think you could put a two-series two convertible in the trunk. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. That okay. car is massive, <laughs> massive. Uh, but actually. Um, I was down in uh, Austin for that one, and it uh, coincided with the Pirelli World Challenge they started that season. So we were at uh, Coda, Circuit of the Americas, and uh, got to drive in the road in the back seat with uh, Bentley's GT3 driver. Uh, and uh, actually, it was pretty enjoyable on the track. It's a big car. It's not something that a Bentley owner would take to the track. 6,000 pounds. Yeah, it's almost three tons. Um, but, you know, for something that big, it was, it was pretty cool. But it's – I thought – most cars have gotten pretty quiet and i thought like maybe this is probably the peak of that but getting into this one it was super super quiet i mean you couldn't hear like hardly anything yeah. yeah it was crazy <laughs> quiet um but yeah with the speed they still use that um, they call it their the six and three quarter liter 6.75 twin turbo right. v8 um they've upped it up to like 530 horsepower but like 810 pound feet of torque which is wow. crazy but it's a, it's but it doesn't hit you car. all at once yeah. yeah so you don't feel it like a real 810 pounds but 
It's, I love the fact that they've actually, you know, gone and taken Bentley back to its roots in, of performance instead mm-hmm. of just being, you know, like for, it was for decades, just sort of like a almost a poor man's Rolls Royce, you know, since the ownership was split up. Their cars are, are phenomenal performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really are. I mean, especially the uh, Continental GT. Uh, I, I yeah. like the V8 because yeah. of the, a little bit less weight in the Me front. Too. Um, but yeah, it's just, and they've extended it here. Uh, what, a, another difference with the speed is you get um, a more adaptable suspension. So they have a, they call it charisma modes instead of yeah. sport modes. And they don't even have like a normal setting. It's called Bentley, Comfort, Sport, and Custom. Mm. So Bentley would be the normal setting. But uh, yeah, and actually, while there's not a huge difference between any of them, uh, you definitely have to be in the right one if you're going to actually push your. Four hundred thousand dollar Bentley. So that be one of your uh, one of your Powerball cars. If if I won, yeah, um, yeah, you know, that's, to a, that's a tough around, question. Then. You know what? Why? If I'm gonna get a Bentley, may, probably because would I would be let my chauffeur and you know go. all my other uh, <laughs> house workers drive that car and drive me around. And <laughs> you got to be let somebody drive you around in this in the in Bentley? this one. Yeah, I mean, oh my. Take a nap in the trunk, <laughs> and you've got. I mean, you can uh, get the iPads in the back that fold down, mm. and you've got a little work uh, station back there. And if you get tired of working, you've got some uh, some a refrigerator in the back with some glasses for you. So I don't know, man. Is something like a piece of uh, machinery like that to let somebody else drive it for me? I, I guess I'll. I guess I'll never have that experience anyway. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Let's move on to our lightning round. Our crowd here has two minutes to debate trending automotive topics. When the time is up, they'll hear this. Thank you, Greg. Now, you must have read or even heard here on Motor Week that Ferrari has recently uh, been up unseated as the most powerful brand name in the world. And that's according to a research poll measuring brand loyalty and consumer familiarity and recognition. That honor now goes to a non-automotive brand, Lego. Now, the prancing horse has actually fallen now to number 10. People have been saying it for years. Do you think this shows more of the trend that people are starting to fall out of favor with cars? Or I should say cars are falling out of favor with people. Are we moving away from the automotive um, desire that, uh, say, I grew up with? What do you think? Um, I'm kind of biased. I would say no. I think it was, I think this particular instance is a little bit more of a testament to Lego than the uh, loss of interest in the cars because Lego has actually gotten pretty crazy lately with their movies mm-hmm. and I think they've really done I mean this isn't a toy show but you know kudos to Lego for yeah, really um, the movie was a big you know, hit. optimizing their brand um, but I don't think so I think people are still in the cars and it's just you know this just doesn't necessarily look good for cars but i think people are still into them i mean ferrari's still a great great brand to uh, recognize yeah i wouldn't read too much into it it's just based on some stupid survey and uh, <laughs> you hear that survey people it was stupid i'm sure your job's important i don't i don't want to say it's not but i mean ferrari's an aspirational brand that very few people ever get to experience mm-hmm. lego is a brand that every single person in the world has had some experience with so it goes to, you know it goes without saying it's going to be a more powerful brand 
it. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of brands that have nothing to do with automobiles that are very strong. Coca-Cola is another one. But on the other hand, I continually read that Jeep is actually the most recognizable automotive brand. So I guess it depends on exactly what question that you want to survey to, well, to ask. It, it's simple in Ferrari's case. Just pair up with Lego now and yeah. make some <laughs> Lego Ferraris. The the broader question about whether or not uh, younger generations are less automotive inclined, I guess there's plenty of proof that you know cars are not as popular with uh, 20-somethings as maybe with their parents. But some of that has to do, in uh, my opinion, uh, with the debt load that they're carrying from colleges. Uh, if you're living in a city, uh, as a lot of young uh, people out of uh, universities do for jobs, it's almost prohibitive to keep a car. So... I'm wondering, you know, when they have families and move out to the suburbs, if some of those pent-up demands for cars won't I don't know. Back. In some ways, I think they're even more into cars just because of all the video games. I mean, my kid's only 11, and he knows a lot more about, you know, some of these exotic <laughs> – You're bringing European, him up correctly. <laughs> he knows more about some of the European brands that we don't even get here that I know because he races them on games. And like he's like, have you driven this one? I'm like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked about the GTR in a previous uh, podcast, and, and I think, you know, GTR is probably most almost as well-known for its – video games as it is for as a Absolutely. performance car on the street. Know, when people were driving that in, in uh, Jeep Gran Turismo with the Skylines, I think that's part of the reason the, it got so popular and it, Nissan ended up bringing it over here. Well, I guess we kind of wore that one out. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> All right. Let's talk to a viewer or talk from a viewer question. Ron. Very nice, Ron. Thank you. He says he loves the show, and I appreciate that very much. We all do. But he wants to know, and i got to tell you, Ron, i got a problem with your, your question. But here we go. <laughs> I appreciate you. But I Why are cars bigger on the outside? He says that to us all the time, Ron, so don't, <laughs> yeah, don't take it to heart. Why are cars bigger on the outside but less roomy inside compared to those from decades before? Boy, that's not my experience, but... I have an idea what he's talking about. I mean, most every car we see in, true, cars continue to grow ex- outside, but there's usually more room than the predecessor inside. What do you think I feel he like means it's almost that? the other way around. Yeah. In my opinion. I look at it and be like, oh, that's too small, and I get in it, and I'm like, oh, i got plenty of room in here. I wonder if what he's talking about is that – when you get into the front seat, say, take the average family sedan. Every time one comes out, they say there's more rear seat legroom, and we've done it within the same length or whatever, or maybe it's grown a fraction of an inch. They do seem these days to be putting a lot more room in the rear seats and sometimes not making the front seat room any larger. And so if you just get into pat the driver's seat or front Passenger, I don't think you can appreciate uh, the extra room. So, uh, I don't know the cars have gotten smaller on the outside. I, I mean, seventies, seventies, fifties boats. I mean, come on. But as far as inside, I think I think you can all trace it back to safety. I mean, there's airbags all around you now. All that um, extra padding. They take up space. Everything's got a center. There's no bench seats anymore. Everything's got a huge center console. They want you in a very specific spot so that so if you're ever in an accident. Work. Um, yeah, you'll be safe. They don't want you moving around that cabin at all. And that's, you know, there might be more room in there um, numbers-wise, but as far as your, you know, the room you have to move about in your seat is uh, much less because of that. We notice here at the show also that if a manufacturer uh – puts a little too much bolstering into a non-performance car that you've end up coming feeling like you're pinned in and yet when you go look at the volume statistics they're up 
So I guess all I can say, Ron, is go to an auto show and start hopping in a lot of vehicles and get in the back seats and move around through the entire vehicle and see whether you still uh, you feel that way about the question. But uh, to to kind of paraphrase what Zach said, it does seem like to us maybe a little bit the other way around. Yeah. Cars are... I think well, I think just the basic answer for that one would just be safety for because yeah. whenever you ask an auto or a manufacturer why you did this, why you did that, that's their nine comp. times out of yeah. ten they're like <laughs> safety. That's, that's like so. Next, next you question. You can't argue. Yeah, 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 you can't argue with it. And uh, there is no arguing that we are out of time. So I want to thank very much our panelists sitting around the table, our writer and two-wheeling producer, Brian Robinson, our assistant producer, Greg Carlos, and over-the-edge reporter, Zach Maskell. Also, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, who always does a masterful job uh, of mastering the audio controls. Podcast creator, Bob Mixter. And our podcast producer, who's not here today, but he's off somewhere enjoying himself, Patrick Lucas. Thank you, Patrick. All right, everyone, we thank you very much for spending time with us on our Motor Week podcast and for watching Motor Week on virtually all the public TV stations around the country. And if you miss us there, you can check us out on the Velocity Cable Channel. Till next time, I'm John Davis. For all of us at Motor Week, thanks for watching and listening to Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.